0: We have been going through a series where we've been talking about the Holy Spirit and we've been looking at a lot of the different characteristics of the Holy Spirit. He is someone that is valuable enough. That Jesus would say, a physical Jesus would say, it's more important to have the Holy Spirit living within you spiritually than it is to have a physical Jesus in front of you. Which, can I ask you guys a question? If Jesus Christ himself said that it's better to have the Holy Spirit than him physically in front of you, which would sound pretty good about now, amen? How important is it to have the Holy Spirit in your life? Very important to have it. And in fact, when you learn to relate to the Holy Spirit and walk with the Holy Spirit, you begin to know God on a whole different intimate level than you did ever before. Which, as Jesus says, is better than having a physical hymn. That's pretty mind-blowing to myself, and I know it's something that's mind-blowing to you guys as well. Should be. And with that, we've looked at different things about how the Holy Spirit is a counselor to us. He's someone who leads us. He's very much God. He's a part of the Trinity with the Father and the Son as well. But this morning, I want us to look at one very distinct and often an uncomfortable, yet very rewarding trait of the Holy Spirit. And it's this. The Holy Spirit sends people. Everybody say, sends We're going to look at a story here. I want you to go to verse 19. Acts is a book that talks about the early church after Jesus went to heaven and gave the Holy Spirit. And families like how we gather right now were birthed. Did you know that the only reason we're gathered together and here 2,000 years later after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection is because of the church? This is the very church that was founded because of Jesus. And we see a picture of that early church. And it says this. Verse 19, now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was martyred traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. Everybody say Antioch. Antioch. We'll be focusing on that. Spreading the word only amongst the Jews, but some of them, however, from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch. Say that one more time. Antioch. Antioch. And began to speak to the Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them And a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Now, news of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord." Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, which, if you don't know who Saul is, he ended up changing his name to Paul. He's someone who wrote... A lot of the New Testament, he's one of the most um, held, esteemed apostles. And this is a story of him early after he was converted. He was someone who was raised up as a religious leader, but didn't know Jesus. Jesus revealed himself. He was saved and converted around age 40. And he spent a good amount of time alone with the Lord for years until Barnabas went and found him in his hometown of Tarsus and said, You need to come to this church and to help us lead it. And what it says is Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught a great number of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. This is where the term Christians was first originated, was actually in the church at Antioch. Antioch is a a church in the Roman Empire. It was one of the biggest Um, It was the third biggest city in the entire empire. It was some place where people went, and no other way to describe it as the gospel really caught fire in that place. People were being saved left and right. Multitudes of people were coming to saving grace in Jesus and experiencing the power of his forgiveness. There were signs and wonders. There were miracles happening, and it created this church in this place Now there's a guy named Barnabas who was one of the leaders of the early day. And he goes, I remember this guy saw in his conversion. I am going to find him. And so he went from Antioch, he went a hundred miles north to this little town called Tarsus. And he said, Paul, he says, I've heard of your story and you're, you're ready to lead. I want you to come with me. And it says for a whole year, actually, if you play out the whole story from that point on, it's about three to four years that he spent there leading that church It would be, if you had to ask a scholar how to describe how the church was doing, it was thriving. It was healthy. There were tons of people. There was amazing things that were happening. It was ideal. Everybody say ideal. Ideal circumstances. This is a great church. It's healthy. It's in a big city. This is amazing. Why would you ever leave anything like this? And yet, I want you to go now and look at the second part of the story in chapter 13. So go ahead and skip a little bit further because it it detours to another story. But then it comes back to this. I want you to look at chapter 13, verse 1. It says, Now in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers. There was Barnabas, which was mentioned earlier. There was Simeon, uh, called Niger. Lucius of Cyrene. Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. And Saul. Saul also mentioned in that. Now listen to this. While they were worshiping the Lord and were fasting together, the Holy Spirit, who was it? The Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and they sent them off. Can you say amen with me? For those that don't know what happened from this point on, Paul and Barnabas go on several missionary journeys. Um, Paul would go on different missionary journeys with other people. But basically from this point on for the rest of Acts is stories of his journeys and the incredible things that God did in spreading the gospel across a lot of the Roman Empire and of Europe as well. Many of us who have had the opportunity to learn about the Bible or the early church know that when Paul was through Europe... A lot of incredible churches, a lot of incredible things that God had done were done during these missionary journeys that he was sent off for. Some people, when they think about Paul, and they think about what kind of a leader he is, would look at these. They say, well, he went to this church. He went to Ephesus. You know, he went to Philippi. He went to this place. He went to this church and planted it. But many of us won't look at the first part of the story And many of us would be surprised, what's Antioch? I've never heard of that. This was his home church. This is the place where he got comfortable as a leader. This is the place where he grew in his leadership and in his relationship with God. It was a comfortable place and it was a good place. But get this, only for the season, of time that it was. And while they are worshiping and fasting, the Holy Spirit does something... That seems, why would you take them out of this place? That seems counter-circumstance or counter-comfortable. He says, set apart for them missionary journeys and send them out. Well, why? I really like this place. I really like living here. It doesn't matter. I called you to it. Well, I don't know what's out there. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know how I'm going to make food. I don't know how I'm going to pay for It doesn't matter. I called you to it. And what you witness in the early church and what you have witnessed ever since then in the history of God's church is that the Holy Spirit sends people into new seasons and into new places. Amen? And just to define what season is, this was a question actually I got this last week. What is a season? What do you mean by that? A season can be many things in this context. It's a period of time where circumstances might remain the same. Many of you are in a season right now. Maybe you're in a couple different seasons that relate to your friends, could relate to school. School's not always the funnest season of time, amen? Yeah, amen, brother. All right, um, but seasons have a way of changing as life goes on. How many of you are happy to know you're not gonna stay in middle school your whole life, Amen? Amen? <laughs> I want to stay forever. I want to be 16 60-year-old. So, it can be as simple as some seasons. Think about it this way. You're living with your family for a season, but did you know a time in your life is going to come when you're going to move out? And if your parents had it their way, it would be sooner than later. Just kidding. Um, But think about it this way. What about a season of your life where you have new friends in your life? What about a season in your life where the people around you don't seem familiar to you like you were grown up and accustomed to? What about, God forbid I should speak this over middle school ministry, but what if you get married someday? What if you have kids someday? You know what? It was really interesting uh, this last year. Um, I have an older brother that's been married for a little bit and uh my, my brother, who's a year older than me, um, he is someone who was kind of a goof-off when he was younger. Anybody have a goofy sibling um, in your life currently? Gosh. <clears throat> um, but here is someone who was always with me and my oldest brother, kind of the butt of our jokes growing up. We'd always pick on each other. And yet, it's interesting watching one of your siblings grow up in life watching him get married, watching him be responsible with, to take care of a wife for the rest of his life. And then um, they actually got pregnant, and they had a kid last September. And I'll, I'll never forget, we got a picture, actually, of his first moment when he was holding his son for the first time. And for me, that was one of the most impactful things I've ever seen, because here is a guy that I have looked at my entire life as an older brother, Someone athletic, goofy, things like that. And here he is now stepping into this new season of fatherhood. He's a father now. And that is an immediate switch. That is not something that you can just say, you know what? I don't want to enter into this season. That's something the Lord has put in front of him and entered into. And similar to that, God has a way of walking us into new seasons of our lives. God has a way of bringing us out of seasons and into new ones, no matter what that may look like. In fact... When you look at this story, someone like Paul could have just looked at himself as only as good as his season in Antioch. Yet God had a greater call over his life that was bigger than circumstances and his faith was bigger than just serving at one church in his life. Because it wasn't just about serving in one place or being useful in one place in his life. God knows that you are always useful in every season of life. Amen? In fact... Us as a youth ministry, if I could just share my heart with you guys, I hope and I pray and we lead in such a way, we don't want your faith in Jesus to be dependent on this season. Does that make sense? So if, for example, you're only faithful to Jesus because we tell you so, that isn't a healthy way to have faith in it. If you're only following Jesus because your parents are making you, that is a temporary thing that will die when the season ends. What happens when you don't get made to go to church? What happens when your parents don't make you or get you out of bed? What happens when you're in a new place where you might not get to go to Beaverton Foursquare? And you get to choose a new church and seek out a place to find the Lord. Those are all new things and real questions that we all get to figure out in our lives and walk through together. In fact... I think what that means is that if we're leading in such a way, that means you get to recognize that you're going to be a different person in new seasons. And God is going to grow you into new people in different seasons. And often the way that God does that is that he challenges us in our faith. He challenges us in the way that we think. And so to say, well, I'm moving into this new season, but, but I got it figured out. You know, I, I know what's going to happen. I know what I'm going to do. It is important to have wisdom, don't get me wrong. And it's important to trust the Lord. But guess what? Did you know that in some ways your life is going to be deconstructed? The ways that you think, what you thought about life, what you thought about yourself is going to be deconstructed as you move into new seasons. And in a way, you, everybody say this with me, you don't know what you don't know. You don't know what you don't know. When you move into new seasons, you learn new things about God and you learn new things about life that you couldn't have known any other way. And I think it presents a great opportunity for us to grow in our faith as well. A couple years ago, um, when I first stepped into the role as the junior high pastor, I, this kid wanted to go to lunch with me. Um, he was Bhutanese, and he had just recently moved to America. And so I took him, took him to an Applebee's. <laughs> Okay, mistake number one as a youth pastor. But you want to know something funny? He had never in his life been in a sit-down restaurant. Now, if you're from America, you're like, how? They're everywhere. But for someone like that, where he comes from a culture that doesn't have that, he was literally sitting there in shock in the booth at Applebee's when they're like, would you like some water? And he's like, some what? You're going to give me free water? And let's be real, this is not fine dining. This is two-star dining with Applebee's, amen? You know? And so this is not like Portland City Grill like we're talking about, amen? And yet, here is someone, how would he know what a restaurant is like unless he saw it and experienced it for himself? In his eyes, he thought eating was one way, this is how it's like. It's not free, it's not people waiting on you, it's not paying a bill, it's not sitting down, it's not being served. It's not that. I can't comprehend that. Yet when God reveals these things to us in our own faith, when we say, no, that's not possible. Oh, this isn't possible for me. No, I got it figured out. And God goes, do you? Do you have it figured out? You know what's interesting about Paul? If any of you guys know his story, he was in the midst of persecuting Christians when Jesus revealed himself himself. Jim. Now that's a pretty humbling moment. Amen. Now you think it wasn't like he's like, I'm, I'm denying Jesus. He just said, I don't believe in him. And so he thinks he has it all figured out. He thinks he's the religious ruler and better than them in the day and has it figured out. And then Jesus goes, you don't. That's a very humbling experience. In fact, sometimes when we think about growing in God, we think like, Ah, this is such a blessed, flowery experience. But this was hard. This was a hard thing for him to come to grips that he was wrong about life. We went to our national convention this week, and one of the speakers, um, who's a pastor in Portland, was telling about Addis Church how someone in their 80s came to saving faith. And how humbling that was for him. For someone who had lived 80 years, years on this planet to come forth and say, I was wrong about life and the way that I understood it, and now I want to make it right. Faith and growing in faith is recognizing that there are things that are wrong in the way that we think, or there are things that we get to grow in our understanding of faith even more, whether it's about the world around us, or even more about ourselves and our own faith. It starts with a willingness to discover and learn about God in those new ways. Sometimes. Everybody say sometimes. When it comes to things like new seasons. When it comes to being uncomfortable. Everybody say uncomfortable. Because new things that you do not know. Can be very uncomfortable. For example. If you woke up tomorrow morning. And your parents or your guardian said. Pack up, we are moving to Siberia and Russia, and you're living there for the rest of your life. You wouldn't be like, oh, that's such a comfortable thing to do. Oh, that's easy. I know it's, you're like, uh, no, I feel a little bit anxious right now about what's going on. And it's because of this. How many of you have a very comfortable way of doing life or have things that are comfortable to you? Amen? How many of you, stay with me, shh, nudge your neighbor, shh. How many of you know that sometimes when life is comfortable and somebody mars that up, it can make you a little upset. Amen. You want to sleep in on a Saturday and you get woken up at 530 to do chores is not a comfortable thing or a happy thing. Amen. Can I get an amen? But you want to do chores. So think about this for a minute. I want you to think about this. What about times in our faith when God challenges us to something new or he tells us something that we go, that doesn't fit into my comfort zone. Personally, I feel like everyone has a comfort zone that they're very comfortable in when it comes to the way that they do life, when it comes to the way that they think, when it comes to pushing their own boundaries of what they're willing to do or willing to sacrifice. People go, I'll do this. But that's, that's out of my comfort zone, so I'm not going to do that. God is consistently pushing the boundary of our comfort zone so that we can get to know him even more in our lives. And when you are brought into a new season that may seem unfamiliar, believe it or not, eighth graders and seventh graders as well, in four to five years, you may be very, very different from the way that you are right now because of new seasons that you step in, but also because of decisions you get to make about that season that's in front of you. Let me ask you a question. Just go ahead and raise your hand on this. How many of you want to have a faith in Jesus that's bigger than just the season of life you're in right now? Absolutely. How many of you want to... Have a faith in Jesus that's only dependent on your friends or on your parents or on a church or on your comfort where if those things fall apart, you're like, you know what? Forget God. He must not be real. Well, this is how you learn how to have a faith that's bigger than this or the things that are in front of you. This is how you do it. Having faith in Jesus means trusting in things that can't necessarily die with a season or a circumstance. Angela, can you put that up? Having faith in Jesus, it means trusting in things that can't necessarily die off with a season of time. You know, the truth of the matter is that your parents won't always make you go to church. The truth truth of the matter is you may not always have the same friends that you have in your life growing up or the same people that are close to you by nature of just the season of life that you're in and where you go to school and where you're going to go or where you're going to work. But if your faith is founded on those things, your faith will go away along with those things as well. In fact, can I ask you guys a question? How many of you are like love construction or building things or just interested in it? None of you are building like skyscrapers downtown or anything. It's a very interesting thing. Watch HEDV, you know, Fixer Upper, all that good stuff. But if you ask, People who either work on houses or on buildings. What is the most important thing that it comes to a building that can make or break it? It's this. What? you got like 20 different answers. Nudge your neighbor and go, shh, I'm going to ruin it. It's the foundation. The foundation is the cement. If you don't know, it's the cement that's under the building. They actually dig into the ground. It's funny, you're trying to build a building up, but you have to go down first, all right, to dig and to put cement in, to set a foundation so that you're able to go up. Now, this is something that in more recent years, because of time, because of effort, there are construction people that have gotten very lazy with this area because they don't want to spend too much time working on the foundation because they just want to pop up buildings for whatever reason. But if the foundation isn't, necessarily set and perfect you could end up with this go ahead and put the first slide up that's an actual building all right and so it's tilted tilted. nice job sherlock so but i want you to think about something for a minute the weather is pretty lukewarm all right There isn't a big storm. There isn't anything pressing up against it. But because it has a faulty foundation, it can't even stand up straight on its own. I want you to put the next slide up. This is one of a healthy foundation. You can see the actual foundation of it around the house. There is a massive flood, but the house is completely fine. It doesn't even matter if there's tons of... Or the dog in the boat, which is my favorite part. But I want you to think about that for a minute. This one is getting a little bit of, if the house is something to be looked at, it's facing up against a storm and yet it's fine because it has a healthy foundation. So let me ask you something. I want you to think about this for, I'm going to give you just a couple seconds to think about this, but I also want you to think about this when you leave today. What are the foundations of your faith? If your faith was a house... What is, like, the roof? What is the nice family room? But what's the foundation? What's the cement? What's the thing that's dug down deep in your faith that you said, this is what my faith is hinging on? And if this breaks, everything breaks. Jesus is the foundation of our faith. Him and what he says about himself is the strongest foundation that could ever be. Not that this would ever happen, but if Jesus went against whatever he said or wasn't faithful to his word, our whole faith should crumble. In fact, Paul says something like this. He says, if the resurrection for whatever reason wasn't real, my faith would crumble. And that is a good thing. Because Jesus is the reason for believing in him. But if you say, I only believe in Jesus because my friends go to church. I only believe in Jesus because my parents make me. Those are man-made foundations. Those are things that can change and do change in our world. But it doesn't necessarily change our faith. They can be supporting to our faith. It's important to have great friends. It's important to have awesome parents. It's important to have an awesome church. But those are not the cement that's dug down into the Ground of our own faith. And the thing that exposes that most, are you ready for this? Life changes. When you, yeah. Mine. (laughs) But think about that. You move into a new season. Let's say you come to church because of your friends and you go to a high school and all of a sudden you're surrounded by a whole lot of different influences that aren't healthy. And all of a sudden you start throwing away your faith because of the people that are around you. What is the foundation like? What foundation needs to be built in that? What is God trying to rebuild? And here's the thing. Stay with me. Thank you. God has a way of deconstructing certain things. I don't know about you, but in my own life, there have been things I thought about God or about my faith. or had really bad, faulty foundations that God had to break down and then rebuild healthy in a new way. Just because you have doubts and because you have questions or you go, you know, I thought I was really sure about this, about God or myself, but now I'm not sure anymore. That's not a bad thing. Often it is a step in the right direction because that is the opportunity for God to come in and to build something greater. Can you put up the picture of the first house? Now, that is what we call a tiny house. If you've ever watched TV for five minutes during one o'clock on a Tuesday, you know that. Now, I want you to imagine something for a minute. Imagine if you had never seen a house in your life, and this is what you saw, and you're like, that's what a house looks like. And God comes in, imagine that being your faith, and God's coming in and he's like, I want to rebuild something, but I'm going to have to tear that down and redo the whole place and build new foundations. And you're like, no. No, 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 God. All right? You can't touch that. All right? God cannot take this from me. All right? You can't change the way that I think. You can't change how I go about that. And yet, let's say you're someone that says, all right, God, take it, and I want you to rebuild a new house. Can you put up the next slide? And this is what he's aiming to build for us. It's, uh, it's actually a picture of, uh, Chris and I's condo over in the Terrellin area. So <laughs> it's a nice two bedroom. So, but stay with me, nudge your and go, Shh. I want you to think for a minute. Imagine if you knew God was building something like that, you would be like, take my tiny house. All right? Like, do what you want with it. Take my money, all right? But how often do we forget about that picture of God with our faith? And that when God is deconstructing something, that he's actually building up something even far greater. We think something's wrong because God's going down and he's breaking down our tiny house. But many of us fail to see the greater love of Jesus when he's building up something greater in us. What are the foundations of your faith? Maybe you've never thought about that. Maybe you don't know. What are the things you can't live without in your faith? That's a good question to ask yourself. That's a question you can ask yourself every day for the rest of your life. And learn and grow closer to Jesus. See, Jesus would go as far as to say in Matthew 24, 35, that heaven and earth will pass away. Now think about that. Jesus is saying, you know, everything on this earth... And even in the the current heaven right now, those things aren't going to last. But my words will never pass away. Who I am, my character, what I'm going to do, those are the things that are really going to survive every season. What are you trusting in? Are you trusting in things of earth? Are you trusting in things of Jesus and his word? That's why it's so important to have an understanding of who God is in his word and his character because this is something that is greater than any season or circumstance you could ever find yourself in this world. Go ahead and go across the street and talk to people who are on their dying breath and in their last years that are a part of our church that have been faithfully serving Jesus and been through a multitude of seasons and go, how did you do it? They'll go, God and who he was in the word, trusting in that. That's why it's so important to get founded now in who he is and his character and learning who he is through the word.